0: You know, Max Lucado told a story about a parakeet named Chirpy once. Everybody know about Chirpy. Never heard of Chirpy. <coughs> Chirpy lived with its owner in their house, and it was a great little life, you know. It'd sing the day away and do all these things. And then one day, it started like any other day, and the owner decided it was time to clean Chirpy's cage. Well, today she was going to take a shortcut because, you know, it's too much to. Take the bird out by somewhere for the garden to be and pull out everything and do it by hand. So she's just going to do it with the vacuum cleaner. She pulls the shop back out. And she goes to cleaning the bird cage. And she's doing a good job. I mean, you know, it's, it's cleaning everything up. Chirpy's up here where Chirpy needs to be, and everything's going good. And then the phone rings. And Chirpy gets sucked in the vacuum. The other panics and she freaks and she drops her phone on the floor. And she quickly opens up the vacuum canister, and there's Chirpy, dazed and just filthy, dirty for all the shop back stuff. And so she runs to the bathroom and turns on the water, and puts Chirpy under the faucet and washes Chirpy off. Oh, well, then she pulls Chirpy up, and Chirpy's shivering, the little parakeet. So she's like, "I need to dry him off." So she pulls up the hair dryer. She turns the hair dryer on, and she she dries off Chirpy, and she puts him back in his cage, and. Somehow the town newspaper heard about the whole story, and they called a week later to ask how the bird was. And well, the owner said, "Well, he he doesn't sing like he used to. He just kind of stares off in space." (laughs) How many of us have ever felt that way, sucked in, washed up, or blown (laughs) over? This week we finish out our series on storms, possibly the greatest storm in the Bible. Now, as I read commentary on our text, one man said that if the book of Acts was a movie, then this chapter would be the climax. It's in this chapter we find Paul on his way to Rome, essentially on his way to die. Paul had certain rights as a Roman citizen. And one of those rights was he could not be punished or put to death without standing before Caesar if he wanted to. So he finally said, I want to stand before Caesar. I want to go and stand before Caesar and preach the gospel. And so he has listened to different people. He has been preaching the gospel. He has stood before kings and governors and everyone else. But still, he wants to talk to Caesar. And so he's on this ship. And Acts 27 is a little lengthy. But there is so much within it, so we need to read it. We're going to move through the entire chapter quickly to discover some very important truths about the storms of life. And there in Acts 27, starting in verse 1, it says, When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So when we had boarded a ship of Adramathium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus of Macedonia of Thessalonica was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends and receive their care. When we had put out the sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And after sailing through the open sea off of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing through Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Cnidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we set along the south side of Crete, off of Salmonae. With yet more difficulty, we set along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. By now, much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the fast was already over, Paul gave his, his advice and told the men, I can see this voyage is headed toward damage and heavy loss, not only the cargo of the ship, but also of my lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than what Paul said, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, the harbor around Crete, over to the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, but not long afterwards, a fierce wind called the nor'easter rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and was unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kata, we were barely able to get control of the skip. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard and with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. And finally, all hope we would be saved was disappearing. And since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sell from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For this night, an angel of God I belong to and served stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. In the middle of the night, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took a sounding and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they had set a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then, fearing they might run aground in some rocky place, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion of the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them to all take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been waiting and glow without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for this has to do with your survival, since none of you will lose the hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them, and when he broke it, he began to eat. They all became encouraged and took food themselves, and all there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to light the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. And when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted the bay with the beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could, after casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the four sails of the wind and headed for the beach, but they struck a sandbar and run the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable, while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on the reach of the ship. In this way, everyone reached safely, reached the shores. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the best of the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. It's a long chapter. A lot of detail. A lot of things going on. But here at the very beginning of Acts 27, the first thing that I see is that God never makes us weather a storm alone. Look at who Paul had with him. Paul, we are told, had Julius with him, the centurion. Now you may be saying, well, he's the jailer. That couldn't be much comfort. But as we read the text, we see that Julius is kind to Paul. He allows him comforts. He even saves his life at one point. God's provided this centurion for this voyage. If it would have been someone else, Paul might have died on the ship. If it might have been someone else, he may not have had the things he wanted. He may have never been listened to. They may have all died. He also gives Luke, now the text doesn't specifically say Luke. Luke isn't mentioned by name, but Luke is the writer of the book. And so when he says we were to say, oh, you know that Luke was there," Luke being Paul's physician, and then you have Aristarchus. Now we don't know much of him except that he was from Thessalonica, and that he was important enough for Luke to mention. He shows up several different places in the New Testament as a companion of Paul. Now, it's it's interesting that Aristarchus is allowed here. Paul is under arrest. He's technically in jail. He's in prison. He's being transported to to stand trial before Caesar. Luke can be there because he's Paul's personal physician. But why is Aristarchus? Why is he allowed? It doesn't say that he's under arrest. He's just there. He's there along with Paul. He's a companion. Now, there are some scholars who suggest that Aristarchus is allowed on board because he has chosen to become Paul's personal slave. That he's chosen that he will serve Paul as Paul serves God and thereby serving God himself. Think about God's provision here for Paul in this time. There's a centurion in charge of keeping him safe. There's a physician there to keep him well. And there's a slave to tend to his needs. When there's a storm coming in our lives... We need to look around for who God has placed in our lives. He's not going to make you go alone. He's not going to say, well, gee, I hope you have a good time. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us by ourselves. He puts people in our place. He doesn't just not leave us and forsake us. He places people in our lives to walk with us. It's not simply that he says, okay, I'm going to take care of you. He gives people for us to lean upon. He gives people for us to, to walk with, to go through struggles with. No follower of God has ever weathered a storm truly alone. They may feel that way. You ever felt alone? The walls are closing in, the storm is raging, and you feel like nobody is there, but it's always in the midst of that. When we stop and we think and we look, there is someone there. There is someone that God has sent. Someone that God allowed to be there to take care of our needs in some way to walk with us through that time. So when you are in those spots... When you are in the storm, when you can't find the way out, look up for God who is placed in your life. Because God's placed someone there. There are people around you to help you. And we see also with Paul that God gives us wisdom and direction in our times of need. Paul has been given knowledge by God that's going to be dangerous. And he says, hey, look, we shouldn't go any further. We should stop. If we go further, we're going to have um, loss of cargo and maybe some loss of life. It's dangerous. It's going to get even more so. God will give us direction. We have to choose whether or not we're going to follow. Paul steps up and he says, look, I'm telling you, this is going to be dangerous. I'm telling you, I mean, what do they have to lose? Paul has volunteered to go stand before Caesar. They all know what's going to happen when he stands before Caesar. They know what's going to happen. If he's already volunteered, it's like he's trying to run away or anything. He's there of his own free will, of his own accord, doing what he wants to do. But when he tells them what's going to happen, they listen to the captain and the crew rather than Paul. Well, it looks pretty good to me. It's it's a a pretty decent wheel. Let's go. You know, as a side note here, listening to God and following his advice is sometimes difficult because the majority can be against you. Paul was by himself there saying, we shouldn't do this. I have a feeling Luke and Aristarchus were going, guys, you better listen to Paul because he's, not, he's really not wrong all that often. Listen to what he's saying. So often, when we say things and we have information from God, you're going to be in the minority. It happens a lot. In the Old Testament, it happened in the book of Exodus. Remember that story? They come out of Egypt. They get to the place they need to go in and What happens? Sitting in your spies to come out and say, let's do this. That's some good land and it's ours because God promised that we can do it. And then 10 guys came out and said, oh, no, I don't think so. That's going to be hard work. And we're small and they're big. And I, I know God has done all this stuff, but I just don't think we can do this. And what happens? They get the entire nation crumbling. And you have four people, basically, we know of. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, who were like, let's go in. And everybody else is like, no. What happens? They have to wander. In the book of Kings and Chronicles, there's a prophet named Micaiah. <laughs> he's an interesting character. Because he's king back in his house relaxing. The king never calls him in for anything because he never agrees with what the king wants to do. The king even says that. Because the king of Judah comes to me with the king of the with the king of Israel and he's like, Well, do you not have another prophet around that we can ask? Well, we've got Micaiah, but he never said anything good about me. Well, let's call him anyway. And they call Micaiah, and all the prophets have been saying, What? Oh, this battle is going to be great! And Micaiah says, You're gonna die. If you do this, you're gonna die. There's no chance for you to come out of this alive. And so what happens? Micaiah goes to prison for the rest of his life. We never hear from him again. And the king goes to battle, and he dies. Many times, the majority fails to listen to God. Just because everybody says something's okay, doesn't mean it is. I mean, that's, you know, one of those things that, no matter what your age, we need to remember that. We think it's especially important for our kids and young people. But there are some adults out there who need to remember that just because everybody says something's okay, doesn't mean it is. Just because the world tells you one thing doesn't mean it's the truth. When we enter into a storm, in any time of need, God will give you direction if you'll slow down and listen. Our problem is we're always going 100 miles an hour. We don't stop and listen. Our quiet times sometimes look like this. Get up, God. Let me me hear what I need to hear this morning. I read a couple of verses down. That was pretty good. Thank you. Forgive me. I'll see you later, God. Because we're in such a hurry. We're always running. But how does God talk to us if we don't listen? You married men. I think I'll marry men, I guess. Because I can gonna and do that, right? <clears throat> Have you ever had that time where your wife says, are you even listening to what I'm saying? I mean, I would like to you give a show of hands. Most of us are... Most of us have been there. Are you even listening? Did you hear what I said? The problem is sometimes God is screaming at us and trying to give us wisdom and direction. We just don't listen. We're in such a rush that we don't hear what God's saying. God can be saying, "Don't," and we just don't. Well, we'll find out later, and we will. So they get in this boat. And they start along. And everything looks good. You know you know the captain and the crew of the boat had to start going. Yep. We're the sailors, we know. We told you how this was going to be. We told you it was okay. And then suddenly, the nor'easter was there. And then suddenly, it was this huge storm. And they begin to be storm-tossed. And we see here, the same thing that happened over in Jonah, right? They should have thrown the car overboard. I mean, you know, I thought everything. And this is with their own hands, they threw the gear of the ship overboard. Everything's been thrown overboard. And then we get to my favorite verse in chapter 20. Verse 20. It says, For many days neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope. That we would be saved was we'll disappearing. Mm-hmm. You're going. You got a warped. You got a warped microphone. That's your favorite verse in the entire chapter. It is. It's my favorite verse. It's depressing. It might be, but it also shows a huge shift in what's about to happen. You know, God will not bring you through the storm until you stop trying to find your own way out. I love that verse because it says, "You know what." We lost all hope. We've done all that we can do. The situation is now hopeless. There's no sun and no stars. You're sailing a ship. There's no sun or no stars. They didn't have GPS back then. They didn't have all these nice instruments that we have today. They had the sun and the stars. If they would have had the sun, they would know, okay, it rises in the east and it sets in the west. If they would have had the stars, they could have said, okay, I can find my way Save myself, it's not salvation. If I can do it on my own, it's not salvation. As long as I am struggling, there's no salvation. When I find myself looking at what's going on around me and I'm trying and trying and trying, I can't accept Jesus until I quit trying. It's just the truth. As long as I think I can still do it, man, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't drink or chew or go with girls that do. I am good. As long as I have that attitude, as long as I still think I can get there, there is no salvation, because salvation means there's no hope left. Salvation means you've got enough hope. That's what happens in a storm. God doesn't act to bring you through a storm until you quit acting on your own behalf. Have you noticed that's happened in every storm we've looked at in the past few weeks? In Jonah, until the crew quit trying, the storm raged. When the crew finally did what Jonah said they had to do, the, the storm stopped. For the disciples, until they gave up and started complaining to Jesus the storm raged. That, that's still a funny story to me. Jesus is sleeping. They're probably going, no, wake him up! Come on, we can do this! Well, they finally said, we can't. Jesus, get up! There's salvation. For us, it's something that we need to stop doing things in our own strength. And then God can deliver us in the storm that we're going through. Until we become hopeless in our own strength, we can never see the hope of God. Until we hit rock bottom, we can never be raised up. Until we see our need, God can't save us. Because you know, sometimes we must be broken in order to be blessed. You might have you all know, mom's seat of hosts. For me on Facebook this week, where I said that time when you see on Facebook where someone's sharing a quote that's right out of your sermon. this is basically the quote that came out of my sermon. I don't know how to think God's working somewhere. because this has been written since Monday. And on Wednesday, I see the quote out there, and I'm like, Nobody has my notes, I'm checking for firewall breaches and everything else. What the world's going on? Because this is the truth the whole world needs to know right now. So, that was, you have to be broken to be blessed, so was, there has to be brokenness. It's probably the hardest thing for us to grasp. We don't like brokenness. We don't like brokenness. Because when we're broken, it hurts. And it's hard. And by golly, it's the American way I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps.
1: And I'm going to do what I need to do because I ain't broken.
0: Guess what? Sometimes you have to be broken to be blessed. We don't handle this concept that God may want things to fall apart well. God may want something to fall apart. We don't like that. No, I'm gonna do everything I can to hold it together. I'm gonna do everything I can, and I'm gonna reach out, and I'm gonna hold on with all that I've got. Remember the old Spider-Man movies being old? I'm talking the wire Spider-Man for those who are looking. I don't mean old as in when I used to watch with my dad. I mean, and there's one where he's holding on to that car. Remember that that railroad car that's falling off that that anyway. And he's holding on to it with everything he's got. We do that. Okay, God, I'm going to hold on to it. Sometimes God just wants it to fall apart. We seem to get in our heads that abundant life always means whole life. Abundant life doesn't always mean whole life. Sometimes abundant life means brokenness, because sometimes blessings can't come without brokenness. Paul had warned them of the destruction ahead of them, but they didn't listen. So now they've become completely hopeless, but there's a message of hope. And what is it? Nobody's going to die! But the ship's going to be lost. The ship's going to be broken. It's going to run aground. You'll live, but your very livelihood and your transportation is going to be gone. You cannot have this blessing of life without the brokenness of losing this. You can't have it. Sometimes God has a blessing in store for you that you cannot obtain without first experiencing brokenness. Now, God doesn't want you to be in pain, but sometimes the only way to receive some blessings is to walk in brokenness. One of my favorite breakfasts, or my favorite food for breakfast is what, Carrie? What do I eat besides sausage all the time? What do we eat a lot of? Eggs. I eat a lot of Eggs. But you know the funny thing about eggs? They're no use to me unless they're broken. If I don't break an egg, I can't have scrambled eggs. I can try. It'd be awful crunchy. But you can't have that without breaking the egg. The woman who washed Jesus's feet, she broke the alabaster jar in order to anoint him. When Jesus was on the cross and the trip to the cross, his body was broken so that we could receive salvation. Sometimes you have to be broken in order to be blessed. Sometimes you have to let those things go. If there are strongholds in your life that you are clinging to for security rather than God, I guarantee you that you will have to be, those that will have to be broken. You're going to have to let go of those. You're going to have to tear those down before you see God's blessing in those areas of your life. We have to be going. For, for the crew was the ship. We have to let go of the ship. We have to let go of our confidence. We have to let go of our knowledge. They might, The captain and the crew were like, we're the sailors here. There's no danger here. This is a nice wind. Let's just go. We can't. We can't stay here, Paul. It's too dangerous to stay here, Paul. You can't winter here. We know what we're talking about. They had to let go of that. That had to be broken for them to find this blessing. Maybe for you it's control. Maybe you want to have control over everything. Everything's got to be right. It's got to be in the right order. Maybe I'm preaching to myself this morning because I like control. I like to make things be when they're supposed to be. Maybe for you, your stronghold is your health. I'm going to do things my way because I know and you know it is my. Maybe it's your marriage or your kids, or your family. Whatever your stronghold is, that thing that you cling to, that thing that that you have for security rather than God, God's going to break it before you find the blessing there. Man. That's not fun to say. It's definitely not fun to live out. Whatever is making you feel like you have a safety net to receive God's blessings there, it'll be broken. And sometimes the storm gets darker before it gets better. Sometimes a storm gets darker before it gets better. You ever been in one of those storms where you're you're, you're outside and you're watching and you know it's just, just raining cats and dogs and then suddenly it's like somebody turned off the lights. It's just so dark. Sometimes that happens in our lives just like it did for Paul and the crew. And sometimes you may want to jump ship. Don't stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Some sailors wanted to take their chances, so they begin to sneak off to a boat. And Paul took the and says, Hey, if they die, if they leave, we die. Stop them. They got to stay in the boat. In order to weather the storm, you find yourself, and you have to stay in the boat. You can't jump out of the boat. That's stupid. But well, we try, don't we? We find ourselves in, in, in this place that God has put us for a reason and we start to bail Well, God, it's been good. Stay in the boat. The grass isn't greener over there. If it is, then maybe the the septic tank. I mean, honestly... Just because the grass is greener doesn't doesn't mean that that it's better. It could be worse. God put you there for a reason. Stay in the boat. I started singing a song in my head. I was praying for Dale. And they look up and they see a beach. I don't know what beach it is, but this is the first land they've seen in 14 days. Okay. We can run the ship aground. But halfway out, they, they strike a sandbar. The ship's breaking apart and the soldiers want to kill them. let's just kill them all kill all the prisoners so they don't get away and Julius steps up and says no we're not going to do that and then he starts to them out you know sometimes God rescues us in differing ways according to our preparation those who could swim got to go first if you can swim get in the water and go then, the rest started to shore on pieces of the ship. The truth of life is that we are each prepared for different situations. Some of us walk into a storm with enough experience to have an easy way out. This is easy. I'm going to get this done. Okay, we're done. Others get to the storm by the skin of their teeth. But they still get to the storm. Some were able to swim. Some have the ability to get to safety on their own when God provides the opportunity. Some of us in this room are better prepared for certain storms than others because we have a skill set because of other storms we've weathered. We're prepared. We can swim. And so God gives an opportunity, He says, Go! And we can swim to where He wants us to be. Some can't swim. Can you imagine being on this boat? It's breaking apart, and you can't swim. But Paul says, not one of you will lose your life. Not one of you will lose a hair on your head. Some can't swim. Some people have an opportunity, but they don't have a means. Some people never had any obstacles to prepare them for what they're facing, so God must provide a way for them to escape. And so he gave them pieces of ship, pieces of cargo. You know, every one of us will face a storm at one time or another will be sucked up, washed out, and blown off. And we can choose to either live our lives like Chirpy the Parakeet, dazed and confused. Or we can use the story of Paul and the truth that it contains to not only weather the storm, but use it as a tool for the glory of God. Maybe this morning, you're in the midst of a storm. There is something going on that is a storm in your life, and you feel alone. Look up. And see who God has provided you with. Maybe you're just confused in the middle of the storm. Maybe you don't know which direction to go. You don't know what it is that you need to do. You're at a point where you're just like, God, I have no idea. I don't know what's next. Slow down and seek God for the direction because he'll give it to you. Maybe, maybe you're struggling and you're tired. You have been there struggling and tired? (laughs) God can't bring you through the storm until you quit trying to do it on your own. Quit struggling and give it to God. Maybe you see land in heaven it's coming way too fast. Remember that sometimes you have to be broken in order to be blessed. Maybe you've had enough and you're ready to get out of the boat. Don't! Stay in the boat! Maybe you're wondering how it will all come out. You're either prepared or you're not. But the good news is that no matter which you are, God can bring you to the other side. Maybe the morning, this morning your need is something completely different. Maybe right now life for you was hunky-dory and it's all rainbows and sunshine and unicorn kisses. I don't know. Maybe today you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve the missions and ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe... Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known the one who died for you. You've never known the one who came and was broken so that you could be blessed. There is no heaven without Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, make that decision now. It's not hard, you just come down the to trial window, Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.